Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, we all like a good mystery story, and we all like to follow the travails of a person of mystery. That's, of course, at least those of us who have not been negatively impacted by any such person. Well, this week in the Irish Examiner, we've been informed about such a mysterious figure who has left something of a trail of misery in her wake. Catherine O'Brien is the woman's name, and here to tell us all about her is the Irish Examiner's intrepid investigative reporter and, I should say, the recipient, and this is hot off the presses, of a clutch of shortlisted pieces for the Journalism of the Year Award. Anne Murphy, you're very welcome. Thank you, Mick. And to start, uh, Catherine O'Brien, as I said, is this woman's name, and I'm sure that's a relatively common name. In fact, I know it is. So let's just set out what we know about this woman's background. So in the first instance, she can't be mistaken for any other Catherine O'Brien. No, Catherine O'Brien that we're talking about is from a place called Scrub in Buttevant in North Cork. She grew up there, but has been living for many years down in Dungarvan and Watford, um, where she um, would be very well known over the last 20 years or so. She doesn't live at her house in Dungarvan at the moment, and the house is uh, lying empty for several months now. But that is where she would have been most well known over uh, the last two decades. And as you say, the house is lying empty for several months and... To say she's missing would not be correct, but she's somebody whose whereabouts are unknown and there are a lot of people who would like to know her whereabouts. Indeed. Now, she, as you say, quite correctly, she is not a missing person. Um, She is, though, um, a person um, who has not been seen at her home in in Dungarvan and Watford for many months. Many people, as you say, are trying to find her uh, location um, because she owes them money. But unfortunately for them, her location um, cannot be found at the moment. The Gardaí are also um, looking for her. There's a bench warrant out for her arrest following an animal cruelty conviction in her absence in 2021. As I say, she was convicted of more than 30 counts of um, animal welfare um, breaches in relation to horses that were seized in Ballygarrett in County Wexford the previous year in 2020. Since the bench warrant was issued for her arrest um, in June of 2021, efforts to locate her have failed. Yes, Anne, and in the excellent piece you wrote in The Examiner, and if you've podcast series as well, we'll talk about that in a minute, but that you also point out that she was the subject of a cab order, the Criminal Assets Bureau. Yes, indeed. Um, also this year, in, in February this year, um, a High Court judgment was made in favour of the Criminal Assets Bureau, um, allowing them to seize uh, Land Rover Discovery, which the cab had asserted was bought with the proceeds of criminal frauds. Um, Mr Justice Alexander Owens um, allowed the seizure. And during the, um, in, in his judgment, many um, pages long, there was um, references made to um, 
people who had uh, met and um, come to know, or as they thought, came to know Captain O'Brien over the years, but um, had ended up uh, losing money and um, in some cases property as a result. And one of the instances relates to a woman um, living down in County Waterford, uh, Nicola Beresford Minahan, who came to know Catherine O'Brien through a relative of hers and she began childminding for her. Um, and then she became involved in business with Catherine O'Brien at Catherine O'Brien's instigation. And, and unfortunately for Nicola, she uh, she mortgaged two houses to help Catherine O'Brien um, to set up in business. And she lost the houses. And her background was quite interesting. She was from an aristocratic background in West Watford from Strad Valley, a little village outside Dungarvan, where uh, Nicola owned two homes. Um, and where she also grew up in the glorious um, Woodfield estate um, on the outskirts of Strad Valley. Um, and now she finds herself living in rented accommodation. Right, yeah. And you mentioned West Waterford. And from it was from Butterfield at some stage she moved to West Waterford. Um, and she was something of a businesswoman. And am I correct? She set up as a florist initially in, uh, in Strad Valley. She did. Um, ironically, she set up um, the floristry business in one of Nicola Minahan's houses, which also housed the Strad Valley Garda station. Um, and the floristry business also moved to Kilmac Thomas and she um, started a floristry business in, in Dungarvan in two different locations in Dungarvan over the years. And eventually she found, um, according to Nicola Minahan, that the floristry business wasn't making money and she decided to open a convenience store in Dungarvan. Um, after that, she turned her attentions to the veterinary sector, uh, came to know a vet in County Clare that she met on a dating website um, and um, and through him met a dairy farmer also from Clare um, who she persuaded to um, enter into business with her. Um, and uh, that man who has since died actually in August of this year um ended up losing money as well as a result of um, right. the schemes. Okay, I will just take it back to, to, to West Watford initially. And as we say, she set up as a florist. She shared the building with Ungarda Shikana, which I suppose is a bit ironic. You also mention, and I found this fascinating, that in terms of the history in that area, Kilmacthomas, and I know I'm going off on a tangent altogether, but I found this fascinating. That there's a notorious case in that tiny little place where there was the disappearance of a postman named Larry Griffin in 1929. His bicycle was found, but his body was never found. And 10 people, including two guardian, a teacher and a publican, were all charged with his murder and all acquitted. Indeed, it's it's a place um, that has a lot of mystery in it now, doesn't it? In nearby Kilmac Thomas, it's it's close enough to Stradbally, um, where Larry Griffin was last seen on Christmas Day, as you say, in nineteen twenty nine. And in Kilmac Thomas, his, his own village, um, there is um, a plaque erected there in recent years in his memory to ensure that he will never be forgotten. But as you say, that that case was never solved. I see a movie there somewhere, and I I I see somebody. Uh, it's like something what you call him. Um, Martin, McD Martin McDonough might get his hands on or whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, so she was somebody who set up as a florist. Now, initially, obviously, in, in certain areas, uh, working as a florist is, is a very, can be a thriving business and, and there's a demand for it. But 
it's something she seems to have been doing in the, in very small places and you'd, you'd question in terms of whether there was any kind of uh, thought went into that uh, when she was setting them up. Yes, indeed, in, in relation to one of the uh, shops that she had even in Dungarvan, which would have been seen obviously as, you know, a bigger town than, and then a village like Stradbally or Kilmac Thomas, um, um, one person described to me the locations that she had um, were not somewhere typically that you would locate a florist. Um, for example, one um, person said to me that um, the one in the centre of Dungarvan was almost like an invisible shop. You'd walk past it and not realise that it was a florist at all. Um, and then the other one was in, in the Ballon Road area, which would be very residential on the outskirts of Dungarvan and not your typical area where there would be a heavy commercial footfall. And it was while there, was it, that she got involved in some businesses with the the, the woman you mentioned, Nicola? Yes. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Nicola um, came to know her through a relative and she was um, childminding uh, one of Catherine's children. And she felt, and I, I'm sure there must have been some bonding, uh, you know, between, the, between both Catherine and Nicola because Catherine came to trust Nicola, obviously, and she decided to have her trained to enter the floristry business with her. Um, but then as time went on, um, Catherine's business interests changed and moved to the veterinary sector. And um, Nicola was still involved with Catherine at those points and obviously trusted her, didn't um, think at all that she was going to end up in the circumstances that she's now living in. Um, but she, uh, her name was placed on company documents um, as along with um, a number of other people, including the uh, dairy farmer that we mentioned from County Clare. Um, and unfortunately um, for Nicola, she was willing to put up her two homes for um, collateral for a mortgage. And unfortunately um, for Nicola, she lost those two houses as a result of, of involvement in the veterinary business and at one point even was questioned by Gardaí who were investigating um, the circumstances behind the uh, veterinary um, practice being set up and the, and the, the circumstances of, of money um, going missing and um, unfortunately Nicola was, was also interviewed by Gardaí as part of that operation but she was very glad to be able to show and prove to Gardaí that she had no knowledge at all of any um, activities and she does look back on that time and she laughs at times and I think she, you know, she still um, has some happy memories of those years um, and she recalls going to Lapland on an all-expenses um, paid trip with with Catherine and her daughters um, and she says that even today, even, you know, on her, on her Christmas tree um, each year are decorations that she would have bought on that trip. So there's always, I suppose, a constant reminder of Catherine in, in, at Christmas in her house. Yeah, whether she wants that kind of reminder is another thing. But how do you go from operating a florist shop to getting into the veterinary business? She's in West Waterford and through, was it some form of a dating app, she met this farmer from Clare? Through a dating app, she met the vet from Clare. The vet from Clare, excuse me. The vet from Clare, yes. At that point, she was still living in Dungarvan and regularly travelled from Dungarvan up to the to the west of Clare to meet with the with the vet, and came to know a lot of his social circle, some of his um, clients, indeed, and even some of his suppliers. Um, she would have never really had the vet visit 
um, her home in Dungarvan. Any time it was suggested, it was kind of, you know, there was always an excuse or a reason why um, that it wouldn't be viable. But she was a regular in, in County Clare, travelling up and down. Um, and at times, people who knew her up there, even one talking to me this week, queried why it didn't enter people's heads. If she was, you know, a successful businesswoman down in Watford, how did she have so much time to be hanging around with her newfound friends in Clare? Um, obviously, there would be, um, you know, a, a lot of distance between both counties. But nevertheless, she did it. And um, she... She was even so, she she became so in, entrenched in life up there that she even told people that she was going to buy a pub up there. She actually held interviews um, with people who wanted to get a job working in the pub and then it emerged that um, she wasn't actually after buying the pub at all. Right, so we're now a florist. She then had a, a suggestion of buying a pub. That fell through. And then did she, she got involved in the veterinary business through this man from West Clare whom she'd met. Yes, so she, she became interested in, in um, I, I'm not even sure if it was the veterinary side of it or was it that it was an opportunity to move away from the floristry business and that it was any opportunity that would have taken her to that because earlier on, um, before she even moved to um even before she moved to Watford when she was quite young, she was involved in the in the pub trade for in North Cork for about a year. She also set up um, a genealogy uh, company, which not, I'm not sure if it did any business. If uh, uh, and if it did, it was a very short term thing. But it seemed that there was no limit to. Um, what businesses she would involve herself in. Um, she also purported herself to be um, either a legal mediator or a solicitor um, and would have been on hand to provide advice to people um, no matter what kind of trouble they got into. And this uh, vet who she uh, became enamoured with in County Clare has spoken of, you know, getting into trouble himself, you know, in relation to speeding fines. And um, obviously for a vet, you, you need to have your 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 wheels, basically. Your car is very important to you, especially in a rural area like West Clare. Um, and she offered to sort all that out. Um, she regularly travelled around with him on his calls. And I suppose came to know the veterinary business through that. But because she was very involved in the organisational and background work, I think it, it got her to understand the veterinary business. Um, and then that caused that that moved her to look into setting up um, such a business, first of all, in Buttevant um, and also in Dungarvan. So we, there was the possibility of opening up a business in the main street in, in Buttevant in her in her own stomping ground of North Cork um, and also where she was living in Dungarvan. Um, the situation in Buttevant never really materialised into a business. Um, efforts were made in, in Dungarvan, all right. Um, and there, there there, are documents and all of that and uh, receipts and invoices that I've seen in relation to running a business in Dungarvan. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So she got to know, I suppose, secondhand the veterinary business with her, her friend in, in Clare. Uh, and then she just she decides, sorry, it's not funny in terms of people who are caught, but some aspects of it, when you think about it, she decided to go back to Buttevant, where previously, her hometown, she'd been involved in things like quasi-legal work and a genealogy business. Now she was returning with a veterinary business, as she was to Dungarvan, where she'd been a florist. She was now opening a veterinary business there as well. Yes, and and in order to to do that, she obviously um, had to have suppliers. Um, one of the suppliers that uh, she managed to um, secure was a person she met through her veterinary friend in County Clare. He was also a County Clare man. Um, he has spoken to me about how um, how easily hoodwinked he felt that she that she hoodwinked him very easily. He believed in her and trusted her. Primarily, I think, because he knew the vet very well that she was friendly with. But I think he, he feels that she is very well able to, as he said, pull the pull the wool over people's eyes and, you know, persuade you that you're the only person in the room when she's talking to you and, and you you're, she can be very engaging. He described her as very charming. Um, and so she managed to, to, I suppose, secure his confidence, basically. Um, but he never got paid. Um, for the supplies that he provided for that veterinary business. And he's just one. Um, and he would say himself that what he lost is quite small. And and the business itself, and like, did it involve pre- people bringing their sick or injured animals to her? Or what, what, what was it, it in, no, in, in she, products? She, she wasn't operating as a vet. It, it was products, basically. And there was right. there, there was a vet as well um, that was in um, that was employed to work there. Um, and that vet was actually uh, brought in from abroad and he I'm not sure how long the vet stayed in the practice um, but yeah primarily it was a supplies business But she was the one in control of the whole business she would have employed the vet for instance and she was running the business she she was involved in the business, but when when you look into the the background documents, then the directors um, and the shareholders they did not include Catherine O'Brien on the uh, on the documentation in relation to the business, and yet um, there was uh, use of credit cards and accounts um, by her, which was highlighted during the um, the cab judgment um, by Mr. Justice Owens. So who, who who did control the business? Well, Nicola Minahan was very active working in the business. Um, she she worked there for quite a while. The 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 dairy farmer in Clare was the director of it, um, and uh, another farmer in Limerick was also a director of it. Um, and never at any time did anything um, did any of the documents show linked to Catherine O'Brien. So what it appears like is that through her charm and guile or whatever way you want to put it uh, and her friendship with the vet and Claire, she got to know these other people and they uh, agreed to uh, to serve in that capacity for a business that she was effectively running. And they, these people also had no knowledge of her background. They, they These people met her 
during her time, you know, in Clare with the the vet, they weren't aware of the background um, of where where she was from. A lot of people assumed in County Clare that she was from a legal background and she did nothing to change that mindset. They were quite persuaded that that was the case. And I think many of them just um, relied on her as, as you know, I suppose they, they, they relied on that um, respectability, I suppose, if you'd call it that. Of, yeah. a, of a person from a professional background that would have been able to help them. Um, as I say, she she would always have been a person that you could turn to if you had a problem with the law, if you had um, any issues, um, you know, regarding, as I mentioned earlier on, speeding fines or um, legal letters that you needed to draft or anything like that. Um, she seemed to be the person to go to and she earned people's trust very easily. And did her friend Devet and Claire ever come over to Dungarvan to see how the business was getting at? No, at that point he was not involved in the in the business. He was in the the business in Buttevant was the one that he was supposed to be involved in. It was the dairy farmer, um, who she had met socially through the vet that became involved in the, uh, in the setup in Dungarvan. Right, and how did that go then? The business there in Dungarvan did that run into trouble? Yes, it eventually did. Um, and but for many many years it it, it was. It, like the the company itself was only f- um, finally ended um, earlier this year, um, just a short few months before the death of the dairy farmer, unfortunately. Right, but she she presumably managed to make a living out of it, or, or it, it was able to function in some capacity for a number of years. There, yes, it did function for a number of years, um, and as I say, there 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 are you know invoices and dockets and all of that that I've seen relating to that business. But you know, after a while, Catherine became involved in, in other businesses, including the horse industry, um, where um, she be, she became a very integral part of that set and would have been quite well known at sales. In, around the country and I suppose that's shown by the fact that um, her downfall I suppose as you call it with the, with the bench warrant of her arrest came through her love of horses um, in um, 2019 and 2020 she was obviously involved in, in that scene and the horses that were seized in, in Wexford um, they they were key to that I suppose to, to, um, to showing how um, in French she had become in relation to the horse industry because uh, there was more than 30 horses seized in that operation. So at some point, while she was running the veterinary business in Dungarvan, she had an interest in horses, I understand, earlier, but she developed, the, the, she got into that business and, and she began buying horses. She began buying horses. Now, she, she always loved horses um, and that's shown by a plaque that's outside her door in her home in Dungarvan. And there's two horses on it, on the nameplate. But she would have um, been very interested in horses all her life and uh, she has been involved in, in purchasing horses, uh, thoroughbreds, um, bloodstock um, over the, I suppose, the last four to five years. Um, and had, that has moved her away, I suppose, really from the the circle that she would have been in um, previously, where she would have been very well known, as we say, in, in Waterford and in uh, Clare. Um, and, now she became a lot more well known in parts of the country like the Midlands, Kildare, Dublin, Port Leash, um, County Leash, um, where the you know there would have been um, a big interest in the bloodstock industry. But as you say, she loved horses, but she didn't love them that much because she she ended up being convicted of cruelty. Yes, yes, indeed. So it's it's a bit ironic that she loved horses so much and then that this is is 
the I suppose the result of 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 her downfall as well. And how did that come about, Catherine? Did she have them in in particular places? Was there reports to the Gardaí, or how were how were people alerted to the fact that there was an issue there? The horses were spotted by somebody in a in a very bad state, and a report was made and seizure was made in. Um, by in a joint operation involving the guards and uh, the Department of Agriculture inspectors, and they um, they took away the horses. Then at that point, yes. So the horses are currently in the care of the Irish Horse Welfare Trust. Um, the horses can't be rehomed at present because the case um, against Catherine O'Brien in relation to those horses is still outstanding. Um, until she can be found, uh, she can't be sentenced, and until that happens. There is no option for the Irish Horse Welfare Trust in relation to rehoming the horses. And so they are currently being looked after there um, in County Wicklow um, at huge expense. Um, or more than €250,000 has been spent by the Welfare Trust so far in looking after them. And that's a big concern for the, the people there because it means that having those horses in situ in the Irish Horse Welfare Trust, they cannot make room for a lot of new horses that need this shelter to come in. It also means that um, the horses that are currently um, still, you know, waiting the outcome of, of that case are getting older. And I suppose older horses aren't as attractive to members of the public. Um, and also, I suppose it's very, very difficult when it comes to bloodstock for ordinary people to um, take them on. They're quite expensive to look after. Um, and there's, you know, there would be hefty, I suppose, um, Vet bills as the years go on because they'll be getting older. Um, you know, some of them were young at the time of seizure, but others were older, and some have you know like that they that they would be at the latter end of their life, which would have a big um draw on resources for them as well. And is there any indication like of how things came to that? I mean, okay, she obviously was somebody who got people's confidence, and she flitted across various uh, strata of business and society. But how did she get to a point where? Horses which she loved were got into that kind of a state. I think it, it probably it's it's probably a number of reasons. I suppose um, partly there was a, a big volume of them there. Um, there would have been a lot of cost involved in looking after these horses. Um, and where would you know? Obviously, you have to get um, feed and. Um, and hay and and you know all all the necessary yeah, yeah, yeah. items that need to be um, looked after in relation to horses from a veterinary perspective as well, um and I I I I actually think that maybe on this occasion she was in it over her head, um and that the the horses unfortunately were the ones to suffer. So the horses were seized, um and she was prosecuted, but did she appear in court at all for that prosecution? No. So she was convicted in her absence. Um, she was convicted in her absence. Exactly. And how then did the cab get involved? The cab apparently have been investigating the background for quite a while. Um, and it was through her involvement with the um, the business in Dungarvan, the, the veterinary business that um, cab um, were looking at it um, in relation to the seizure of the Land Rover. It was looked at um, to see basically who was the actual owner of the of the Land Rover was it Catherine O'Brien or was it a company car? So basically um, they went through um, and spoke to um, particularly Nicola Minahan um, and a number of other people who were not named in the judgment um, who did not want to be identified but were willing to cooperate um, 
silent witnesses, basically, um, and went through a process of, of examining everything, um, bank accounts, um, documentation between solicitors' offices, um, I imagine probably uh, phones and, and uh, computers and all of that as well, um, to establish a pattern, basically, of um, activity on different bank accounts linked to Bo Catherine O'Brien and the Business Advanced Vet Med Limited, um, just to clarify um, where the funding for the Land Rover Discovery came from. Gotcha. And is there any indication, w- 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 to the greatest extent, was she operating alone? Did she have a partner, either a life partner, a business partner or anything? Or was she largely operating alone? Largely operating alone. She like she does have children um, and she has had long-term relationships. Um, but um, they, at the moment, I'm not aware of whether she's currently in a relationship or not. But um, they, she is, for the main part, operating alone. And you went to Buttevant as well and sought to speak to people who would have known her since she was a, a younger person. I suppose she's, what, in her 50s now anyway? She's in her 40s now. She's 45. 40s now. Oh, gosh, she's, she's squeezed a lot into life so far. Fair play to her. Tell me, did, did you um, did you encounter anyone in Buttevant who gave you any insight into the type of person she was when they knew her? Oh, a number of people um, did. Um, some people have said that you never really know her. Um, for sure, um, that she, they, she would be uh, from a well-known family in the area, and people have utmost respect for the rest of her family. Um, but they, people would say that um, they wouldn't really know her very well. Um, from perspective of does anyone know really who Catherine O'Brien really is? Um, so like she, she would have been seen as somebody who wasn't really into glamour or style. Um, but always like to drive a, a good car. Um, again, horses features very highly in 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 that. Um, people remember her as as being very involved in that scene and and loving horses. Um, but she would be someone who hadn't been living in Bosvent, as I say, for over two decades now. Would regularly have visited relatives in the broader North Cork area, and people do remember, you know, seeing her in in um, some of the best. Um, vehicles in the area um, and she, like, she's the stuff of legends I suppose really to some people down there she, when you mention Catherine O'Brien's name it brings a smile to a lot of people's faces And she's a, she's a brother who's very well respected very well liked as I understand that uh, priest still in the area Yes um, Monsignor uh, Jim O'Brien who is parish priest of Ballyhay and previously served in the Vatican My God Um so as things stand, she has gone to ground, so to speak. There's a warrant out for her arrest. And there's a lot of people out of pocket who I'd say would like to uh, engage with her on some basis as well. Yes, um, obviously the guards are keen to um, find her location. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of people who feel that they were burnt by her are desperate to find her as well. Um some people have travelled from different parts of the country to Cork to try to find her. There's people have travelled to the home in Dungarvan to try to find her. Um, when I visited the the estate that she lives in in Dungarvan, neighbours told me of people, including the guards and, and people who had been um, feeling that they were victims of Catherine O'Brien, um, have not been able to find her. But they have turned up at the house looking for her and have spoken to the neighbours to try and find out where is she. And I must say, and it's certainly in terms of the research done, you put a, a, a Trojan amount of work into this. Like, from your research and, and, and your interaction with people, have you 
formed an opinion of the type of person she must be. I mean, is she like somebody who's a bit of a fantasist who gets in over her head and that kind of thing and then rather than reversing keeps going kind of thing? Have you come to any sort of a, a profile of her in that respect? Uh, she's an enigma, as somebody said to me the other day. Um, it's very hard for someone to get inside the head of Catherine O'Brien. Somebody I was talking to yesterday who knew her very well or felt he knew her fairly well, I suppose, in as much as you can know her over a period of, he would say, 20 years. He described her as having been born, not made, as in that um, the personality that she has, uh, you know, over the years isn't something that evolved from anything in particular, but that um, it's probably been always part of her psyche. Um, She is somebody, I think, who... Um, likes to lead um, would like to be respected as somebody who would have you know legal knowledge seems to be very important um, she is somebody to whom money is important I think to give a good um, you know a, a good lifestyle but not someone who's very into clothes it's more material things like the, the lovely uh, vehicles and the, the beautiful horses are that they are beautiful when, when they're bought but unfortunately for the ones in Wexford they didn't stay beautiful um, but yeah that, that it seems to me someone who loves horses loves um, the lifestyle that she thinks comes with that um, with, with that area and, and that industry um, but someone who probably has a bit of an ego I think as well those kind of traits they start to ring true in terms of those type of individuals who come across them now and again um, as I say always interesting purely from an observer point of view quite obviously for people who've interacted with her and who've been effectively had their money taken or as they believe so and and, and again for the, the horses as well I mean wasn't wasn't a great experience. Um, I suppose the interesting thing now is where she is and whether she'll be found. If she's out there, if she's listening to this podcast, we'd love to have her on just to to to, to get her to tell us her story. But um, and it is a fascinating story, and I have to say it's one that's very well told, not just in the excellent piece you wrote in the Examiner, but you've also produced the Examiner uh, a really. Interesting four-part uh, podcast series, Catherine the Fake, and I would absolutely recommend anybody to listen to it because uh, I think Anne, on that former, she's a series of podcasts, goes into some fascinating detail, and it is very much, I think, a study in in human nature and, and in the whole area of, uh, I suppose, the most neutral word is confidence. And... Anne Murphy, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Mick. Much appreciated. As always, folks, I'd like to thank our trusty engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening. And we're going to be back again with you next week. Stay in by the wall. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.